Wesley on Radio Islam and Radio Alansar. Ahlan wasalan and how's it? <laughs> so here we are at the end of another Tamasha filled week with lots of mixed emotions, tears and fears, uh, feelings of hopelessness and anxiety and anger and disbelief and amusement and confusion and no doubt deep sadness at the scenario unfolding in Turkey. It's as if the world has uh, turned upside down, eh? What is right and what is wrong and what is normal? Lots of questions and very few answers. But this is the big picture where we try to unpack all the week's events and try to make sense of them. And of course, sometimes nonsense comes up that's difficult to understand, to make sense of. There are lots of loonies out there, first-class muhus that make the world such an interesting place, no doubt. Nutters of all shades. And let's highlight a real mampara. His name is K. Koshigan. K. Koshigan. He lives in Singapore and is the CEO of a drone racing company. Good heavens, what is a drone racing company? Anyway, he's the CEO. I, you know, I got to check up about this drone racing company. Anyway, Koshigan was acquainted with a lady by the name of Nora Tanshumai. Nora Tanshumai. They knew each other since 2016, but here is where the plot Thickens. Khoshigan asked Nora whether he can have a closer relationship, a date with her. Her response was, so sorry, that is not possible at all. We can only be friends. Whoa. <laughs> that was like throwing a bucket of ice cold water over him. So what did this Mamu do? Eh? Well, he took out a lawsuit against her. Suing her for, wait for it, eh? Suing her for $2.3 million. Million dollars. That is about $40,500,000. Million uh, <laughs> $40,519,300. Rands, 40 million rands. Yes, folks, that's it. Poor Ladu, Ladu thought that because he knew her from 2016, she would be willing to have a closer relationship with him. Well, she very politely told him to forsake. So why is he suing her? Let me read to you from the News 24 article. This is what it says. The defamation lawsuit justifies its claim as legitimate damages that Koshigan allegedly went through after the rejection caused him, in his words, sustained trauma and depression for which he needed to take therapy and rehabilitation sessions and which allegedly impacted his stellar reputation at work. The lawsuit accuses the woman Nora Tan Shumai of alleged defamatory remarks and negligent conduct when Koshigan told her he's suffering because of his 
of uh, his rejection. My intern has hit back calling his conduct harassment. <laughs> well, all I have to say is that this lady was lucky that did, she didn't agree to his request because his true colors actually came out as a silly crybaby, a wimp. And you know what? I wonder what he meant when he decided to sue her because, in his words, she made defamatory remarks uh, about him and uh, that this implied, this impacted on his stellular reputation. <laughs> that means he's absolutely wonderful personality, so his reputation at work, impacted on his stellular reputation at work. Well, all I can think of is that she must have embarrassed him very badly at his business in front of his uh, staff by saying something like, Hey, buddy, don't carry on like a stupid cake, okay? Listen, Mr. Donkey Brains, I would rather jump into a pool of crocodiles than to go out with you, okay? <laughs> you must have told him something like that. That, my dear listeners, must have knocked his cellular, his stellar, reputation for six eh? <laughs> or maybe she should have told him that she would rather have a tub of caviar instead of going out with him so what's so terrible about having caviar i hear you ask well as you all know we generally know caviar as being a very expensive gourmet food it's actually fish roe that's fish eggs and I think the most expensive ones comes from the sturgeon fish in the Dead Sea. Anyway, it's fish eggs and the best quality in a small tub the size of a tin of nugget polish can cost you up to 15,000 rands. Yes, it's eaten raw on toast. <laughs> Not for me, thank you very much, even if it was 100 rands. But wait, wait. Last Saturday, just before I went off to that buzzing restaurant in Rosebank to have alu paratha and kima fry, I just about lost my appetite completely. I was reading a news article about a special caviar that's now available in South Africa for the very first time. No, it's not fish caviar. <laughs> Are you ready? It's Snail caviar, caviar, snail caviar, yeah, <laughs> snail caviar, snail eggs, yes, people do eat snails, we know that, especially in France, where it's called escargot, but escargot caviar, <laughs> no, 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 monsieur, <laughs> Wikipedia, this is what it says, snail caviar is a type of caviar that consists of fresh or processed eggs of land snails. It's a luxury gourmet special, speciality produced in France and Poland. Well, dear listeners, you are lucky. It's now available right here in South Africa. A small 50 mill, milliliters jar will cost you 300 bucks, 300 rands. Here's Wikipedia again. The flavor of snail caviar has been described as being reminiscent of baked asparagus or baked mushroom with a subtle flavor with woody notes as having a strong earthy 
flavor and as being crunchier than fish egg caviar. It may be served as other caviars are with toast, sour cream, and champagne. It, it may also be served in soups. Hmm. Hey, man, you can have it with soup. Maybe you should try it with Halim next month. <laughs> Let me know how it goes, okay, Habibi? Well, there you are, folks. And you know what? There was a photograph of the Escargo caviar with, with that article that I was re reading. Uh, and, and just before I got to the restaurant, it, you know, it was such a huge effort to get this disgusting picture out of my mind as I tucked into my kima fry. <laughs> you can Google it. Snail caviar. But ladies, please don't show the picture to the Bali just as he dished out a big plate of acne today. Okay. Hey, some of you ladies can be so cruel, eh? <laughs> it can be a total state of disaster. Which, of course, brings me to the red-hot topic. Sona. Sona. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, please pay attention, okay? I want you to answer this question. What has been the state of the nation over the past 20 years? What has been the state of South Africa for the past 20 years? Ooh, don't all shout at once. Okay, please, please. Order, order, honorable listeners, order. You with the hands up at the back. What is that? You say South Africa is at the bottom of a huge pothole. <laughs> okay, next, next. No, 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 please, no swearing. This is a family radio station. Yes, I know you are cross, but please, please control yourself, okay? You in front, yes? You are going to jump the border fence and go live in Zimbabwe. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. And you there with the, with the hat. Uh, I hear you say we need to be liberated from the liberation movement. Hey, what up? That's a very strong point, eh? Very strong. You know, a thought just occurred to me. Why is the NC called a liberation movement? What movement? It's a political party, ne? So where does the movement thing come in, Habibi? Uh, some bright spark may say that there hasn't been movement, very much movement in improving the lives of people. Yeah, and when you listen to the callers on talk radio... You hear every one of them. I'm, I'm really not exaggerating here. Almost, no, not almost. Every one of them saying, what a mess the country is in. Everywhere you go, in a supermarket queue, at a doctor's waiting room, all over, you hear a common expression. Look, uh, I'm from Durban, and so I don't know Afrikaans and don't know what the word means and how to pronounce it. But King Charles would probably say that it is uh, get wall, get wall. That's what I've been hearing and hearing all over South Africa that the people are get wall. I I I I think it means fed up, totally fed up. <laughs> that dear listeners is the prevailing sentiment. Sentiment, fed up and very very angry indeed. Okay, so let's get to the state of the nation address. Shame, eh? Our President Cyril Hambapawazi must be thinking that he better go home. It was about 40 minutes before he could begin his speech. Um, 
Proceed, Mr. President. Uh, what's the point of order? Take your seat, Mr. President. Uh, uh, take your seat, Mr. President. No, no, that's not a point of order. Proceed, Mr. President. Uh, what's the point of order? Uh, no, 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 no. That's not a point of order. Uh, proceed, Mr. President. What's the point of order? Sit down, Mr. President. No, 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 that's not a point of order. Proceed. And on and on and on it went. Central to the Tamasha, of course, was the EFF. They acted as they promised Cyril will not be allowed to speak. That's what they announced in advance. Okay, let me just pause a little bit and say something that maybe it may just stick in the throats of some listeners who didn't put olive oil in their ears for some time. Right? So they have to listen. You have to listen very carefully. Okay. <laughs> this, of course, is the big picture. And here we step back and look at the overall situation regarding important issues. Yes, folks, a bird's eye perspective. And right at the outset, let me say this. I am not, I am not a supporter of the EFF at all. So let's rewind to 2014. It was reported that the government had spent 246 million rands on upgrading Jacob Zuma's private home in, in Kandla. In Parliament, in Parliament, the EFF caused a big scene, as you know. Pay back the money! Pay back the money! Pay back the money! <laughs> Yakubai couldn't speak. He just stood there with a big sheepish grin or giggle. <laughs> the EFF continued to harass him at every sitting of Parliament. Pay back the money! Pay back the money! It was a very big thing, and one may argue that this action by the EFF eventually led to Zuma's removal as president. Okay? So here's a question. What was your response to what the EFF was doing at that time? Hmm? Did you support the EFF's actions in disrupting parliament to get Zuma out? Please. Mamu, be honest. Did you? What about you? You know what? I must be frank. I, at that time, applauded the EFF. I saw them as brave, brave fighters against corruption to the extent, and I'm shy to admit it, I voted for them at the next election. Yes. Yes, I did, Habibi. A passing phase of mukhunas had gripped me. Mukhunas that I'm not proud of. So what about you, boss, listening to me? Did you cheer the EFF's attempt at every SONA from 2014 right up to 2017 to get Zuma out? Were you happy at the disruption caused in Parliament? Hmm? Were you happy? Just think about it. Were you happy is what I asked you. To stop Zuma 
from speaking. Okay, so answer me. No, I, I can't hear you. Eh? Speak up, please. Ah, so you're admitting you did, eh? All right. You know that expression, what's good, good for the goose, etc. <clears throat> so now, Habibi, when the EFF, that was on Thursday, was shouting, pala, 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 to, to stop Cyril from speaking, why uh, did you say, hey, check these O's acting like hooligans and all, eh? they all thugs, ruffians, they got no respect at all. How are they behaving like children and like animals and all? And they want to rule the country. Hey, they must lock them all up. Did you hear yourself saying that? Hmm? Simple question, Mamu. If you thought that uh, their behavior against Zuma was perfectly acceptable then, at that time, then why not against Cyril now? Hey, hey, answer me, okay? You have to be consistent. Double standards means dishonesty. Dishonesty. Double standards means dishonesty. Point number two. Some people actually think that Malema is a silly goat. Big mistake. He's actually quite brilliant. Very, very sharp. Very astute. You know, he was kicked out of the ANC and in no time at all built the EFF into the third biggest political party in South Africa. Isn't that amazing? You must give him, you must give credit where it's due. Right from the start, he worked cleverly and strategically. For example, take the name EFF, Economic Freedom Fighters. Brilliant, brilliant. Each word carefully chosen. People are suffering, no money. Eh? That is the main issue for people. No money, no food, we are suffering. The economic situation of the people is very bad. So focus on that. Improve the economic situation. So use that word. Freedom, yes. The vote itself won't fill their stomachs. Democracy is nice, but you can't eat it. We want economic freedom, good jobs like what the whites have and had and still have and, and they still, the whites still have the economic power, right? So we want complete freedom. And fighters, yes, that word means it's a war. And Malema is referred to as the commander-in-chief. We fight for you for a better life. Economic freedom fighters, Wow. It's got instant appeal. As they say in the advertising industry, branding is everything. Get straight to the point with your, with your title, with your brand name. For example, spray and cook, clean and fresh, right? Doom, for example, nice word. Instantly saying end of cockroaches. <laughs> I don't think Julius likes the word cockroaches. Well, you know what I mean, Habibi. Anyway, as I said, Julius and his close chummies, they plan things very carefully, not randomly, careful planning, strategically. And as I said, don't make the mistake to assume that he is stupid. 
there is a well-calculated method in what seems like his madness. And there are bright chaps with him. Deputy President Floyd Chivambu at Wits University, he got the bachelor's degree, then a master's degree with uh, distinction, right? master's degree in political studies and went on to study for a doctorate in 2018 at the Witt School of Governance. His thesis was, was focused on South Africa's transformation politics, legislation and practices, etc. Another smart fellow, small guy, Dr. Buyasini Quinton Ndlozi. 2017, got his PhD in political science from Wits University. Did you get that? PhD, Dr. Buyasini, Buyasini Quinton Ndlozi. <coughs> and of course, Julius Selo Malema. <laughs> yes, I said Selo, not uh, Salo or Sellout. Eh? <laughs> Julius Zello Malema, he's got a BA degree in communications and an honors degree in philosophy, Dr. Eh? in 2017. 2018, he enrolled for master's degree at UNISA. So you see, Habibi, these are smart guys, very sharp, and they know exactly what the people want and what they want to hear. And you and I may frown upon the behavior in Parliament, but many people out there who are fed up with the government, fed up with poverty in which they are sinking, would be thinking that enough is enough. Let's not play nice with this useless government that has failed us. Time for talk is over. It's time to act. No sitting around and waiting for better days. Radical action is necessary. And in the actions of the EFF, they see a hope for change. Habibi, when you're in a very, very desperate situation, totally broken down, will you put aside sense and sense? That's when you'll put aside sense and sensibility and grab the opportunity to loot a truck broken down at the side of the road. And of course, that whole discussion is a long story. Poverty can lead to desperation. But back to the EFF. Put simply, some may think that, they, that the EFF will lose votes by their disruptive behavior. Maybe, maybe, but perhaps on the contrary, their actions may have a strong appeal for many others who see Cyril and the African National Chorwans as bringing, uh, bringing all of us to this state of disaster. And any means must be used to boot them out. You see? Do you get my point? Right? And so let's go to the main performance in the circus. You know, I must admit that, I must admit people that I had, um, let me just say that again. When I was watching this, I must admit that I had to use a couple of matchsticks to keep my eyelids from closing. It was torture when Cyril was speaking. The matchsticks eventually broke and I went into dreamland. I sat in my sleep on the sofa. I heard Rama's speech, something like this. My fellow South Africans, this is what I have to say regarding the state of the nation. 
Jesus en Us en Jar en en Haubo en Wema mee en Jok 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 Jok. So after that excellent analysis, uh, my fellow South Africans of the state of the nation, let me tell you how we are going to fix the country. Number one. Uh, mm, mm, yes. Uh, well, we will be we, we sort of, uh, oh, yeah, going to get this, this plan moving first, very fast. Yes, that's it. Quick action, moving forward decisively, getting things done. No wasting time. Number two, I remember how Tabo Mbeki clapped me in the July last in July last year when he said that I failed to impose the socio-economic conditions of the people and didn't do anything to stop corruption. And let me take you back to when Tabo said in Parliament in 1996 in a big fancy speech like some pipe-smoking Shakespeare. Uh, this is what Tabo said. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. Well, let me clap back. And by the way, dear, dear listeners, my eyes popped open for a moment and I heard Cyril say this. For we are a nation defined not by the oceans and the rivers that form the boundaries of our land. We are not defined by the minerals under our earth or the spectacular landscape above it. We are not even defined by the language we speak or the songs we sing or the work we do. We are at our most essential a nation defined by hope and resilience. Yes, yes. Nice clap for Becky there. <laughs> Throwing his poetry, pompous poetry, into the bin. And as I wondered what he meant by hope and resilience, my eyes closed again and took me to his dream speech again about how he will fix the state of disaster. Number three. Electricity. Yes, a very shocking situation. Yes, we have to fix it because it is essential, important for cooking, for computers at the office, for traffic lights, for factories, for toasters at breakfast, for hair dryers, for radios and TV, for charging electric uh, cars, though we have very few. For charging cell phones, yes, they are very important areas that we'll be concentrating on to ensure that all South Africans must benefit equally. Number four. Hang on. Uh, uh, excuse me, is that number four? Uh, uh, let me check. Ah, yes. I'm going to put a new minister in charge of electricity. Yeah. He will be known as the Minister of Current Affairs. <laughs> yes, I know that Praveen and Gwede are working on it. But the new minister will make sure 
that the free the, the free generators that are located at the ministers' homes are always in good working order, so that they never, so that the ministers are never in the dark about what people want. It's very important that we keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening in the country. Uh, no, I don't mean the middle finger. Well, dear listeners, it's at that point that I woke up from my deep sleep and I heard him say this. I heard him say this. Let me see where it is now. He said, We are greatly concerned at the recent escalation of tensions between Israelis and Palestinians and call for an end to hostilities for a, and for a resumption of the stalled peace process. Habibi, I nearly th- throw the whole half-filled bowl of popcorn at the TV screen. We are greatly concerned at the recent escalation of tensions between Israelis and Palestinians and call for an end to hostilities and for a resumption of the stalled peace process. Escalation of tensions. Boss, listen here. There is a rapidly right-wing, racist, fundamentalist government in Israel that is in overdrive mode to smash the Palestinians. And as the suffering, oppressed Palestinians try to fight back, they are even more viciously, viciously smashed. It's worse than what the apartheid government did. And all you have to say is, hey, come now, boys, the tension is no good. Please stop it, okay? Because it's making us very worried. Dear Cyril Mota, it would have been better if you said nothing because your words made my pressure shoot up dramatically. And you said, you guys must get back to the peace process. Habibi, Habibi, wake up and smell the zol because that's what has got the people shut, believing such nonsense. Stop immediately, okay? There was and is no peace deal, no peace process. Yes, there was a process for a long time. People jogging on the spot and getting nowhere, zero. A process that had nothing to do with bringing about peace. And as I keep saying, the so-called peace deal was a horse that died long ago. And to point at it, the dead horse, every now and then and say, uh, it has to be revived and must get up and gallop is to be in a deep state of Zol hallucination. Makes me very cross. This empty rhetoric. And what, what makes it worse is that these big politicians know they know very well that it's a lie, the so-called peace deal. But they keep on repeating it. I also hate this business of 
making it look like there are two sides that are equally matched and just fighting for power. Listen to this well-known media guy. His name is Richard Medhurst. Richard Medhurst is a British journalist born in Damascus, Syria. He covers international relations, U.S. politics, and the Middle East. Listen to this clip. I think a lot of people are finally starting to realize just how dishonest the media are when they talk about what's happening in Palestine as clashes. If these were videos from Ukraine, if they showed Russian soldiers abusing Ukrainians, it would be front page news. You would have no problem looking at that and calling that violence. But because it's happening to Palestinians, oh, now it's a clash. Oh, it's both sides. Look, man, when you have gangs of uniformed thugs draped in riot gear, bursting into a mosque and shooting people with tear gas while they're praying, that's not a clash. That's literally the definition of brutality and this idea that if Palestinians dare to throw a rock in self-defense at somebody that's tear gassing them, that they're somehow equally to blame. I mean, what is this, this colonial slave mentality? Like, how dare you defend yourself? Accept your oppression, you Arab terrorist. Man, I don't understand people who can sit there and watch an entire people being humiliated, subjugated, and ruthlessly oppressed every day by an occupying military force and then attribute equal blame to unarmed Palestinian civilians. I mean, how morally bankrupt do you have to be to utter such a thing? Huh? To say that Palestinians living under Israeli occupation are just as guilty as the people colonizing them. And then they sell you this idea, this fairy tale that Israel's a democracy. While they're openly beating journalists, beating medics, beating worshippers, beating women. Where are all the Western feminists? Uh, you want to talk about women's rights, but when Palestinian women are being beaten in the street, suddenly you have nothing to say? Look at this Israeli thug swiping his baton on this poor Palestinian woman, breaking her arm for no reason. Where are the champions of women's rights? Where is the outrage in the West? I guess it's her fault for not being born Ukrainian. Maybe if she was Ukrainian instead of Palestinian and Muslim, then people would care. Do you know how insulting that is to go into a holy place while people are praying during Ramadan, beat them up, handcuff them, and just throw them around like sacks of meat? I'm not even Muslim, and I am insulted. I am offended. And I shudder to think what would happen if Palestinians went into a synagogue and started firing tear gas at people while they're praying. The reaction around the world would be nuclear, and rightfully so. So where's the outrage here? Why the double standard? How can the media see images of this, of Palestinians being handcuffed and thrown around in a place of worship, and all they do is make excuses for Israel? You know, that building, the Aqsa Mosque, has been there for over a thousand years. Look how they smash the windows and the doors like it's some used car. And this is the second year in a row that the Israelis have done this. And the last time, a war broke out. You know, Palestinians are living two, three generations as refugees on their own land. They have no state, they have no equal rights, no armed forces. And meanwhile, the Israelis have nuclear weapons, an air force, billions of dollars being bankrolled by the Americans. And they have the complete political backing of the Western media. And you call that a level playing field. 
There is nothing about this that is even remotely comparable. Anybody calling this a clash or going, oh, it's complicated, is either clueless or being dishonest. And the media, they always have these colorful, creative ways to avoid saying that Israel is occupying Palestine. Oh, it's both sides being violent. Oh, there are tensions because it's Easter and Passover and Ramadan coinciding. No, 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 no. Get one thing straight. There are no tensions between Muslims and Christians and Jews. There are only tensions between colonizers and the colonized. Get that straight. Well, there you are, folks. Richard Medhurst spelling it out clearly. And a final word about Ramaphosa Sona speech. The whole uh, bang shoot, hmm? shebang calling parliament together cost a whopping 8 million rands, so I'm told. Yes, folks, all the big fat mercs and BMs delivering the well-heeled civil servants, civil servants, the military parade and the gun salute and the jet flying past and the accommodation and the chows, etc. By the way, it's going to carry on for a whole week. I am told. And yes, the motorcycle cavalcade. And how many were there? How many motorcycles were there? 20 or 30 escorting the president. Eh? Why this pomp and ceremony? Pomp and ceremony. No, I won't comment on that well-known South African word that indicates that they are what they are doing to us. Hmm? I don't want to get into trouble, okay? <laughs> yes, dear listeners, 8 million the word is maja, and it's money from your pocket for this big, spectacular jewel. And what did you get out of it? Was the price you paid for it worth it? Eh? That, dear folks, is for you to answer. But you know what? For the good of the country, I could have done the job for just one grand. Just one grand. Yes, folks, I would have taken several motors. Last year's speech full of promises, dusted it off, sprinkled some dhania on it to freshen it up and gone to parliament and delivered it. Just one grand, and of course, a business class flight to Cape Town and a fat merc to take me around and a full week stay at the five-star hotel on the beach promenade. And I'll do it for the whole country, Abibi, for the good of the country. Let me leave it there and go to the next topic, Turkey. Well, what can I say? Actually, nothing, really, because you are seeing every detail of this tragedy unfolding. But I will just make one observation. Actually, it's not mine. It's by the editor of the website, Middle East Eye, David Hurst. Here's an extract from his article. He says dozens of countries have sent search and rescue teams, but just three days into this disaster, at precisely the point when a search and rescue operation turns into a grim, slow recovery of bodies, the tragedy is slipping from the headlines in Europe, Turkey's immediate neighbor. We know what follows this loss of public attention. This week, the earthquake was displaced by Ukrainian President Zelensky's visit to Britain and Brussels. The plucky, khaki-clad Zelensky, who was morphed, morphed in political consciousness into a cross between Churchill and Joan of Arc, has become a hot political ticket 
as each parliament competes for his presence. The fact that he visited Britain first, in preference to France and Brussels, was noted as a source of national pride for the British. So too was the 2.3 billion pounds, that's 2.7 billion dollars, in military aid that Britain gave Ukraine last year, a sum that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak assured us would be matched this year. It makes Britain the second largest military donor to Ukraine. This is the sort of money available in Britain when the political will exists. Compare it to the sum the UK government said will be spent on the Turkey-Syria earthquake. When the 15 charities that make up the Disasters Emergency Committee launched the appeal on Thursday to provide rescue and medical aid, shelter, blankets and food, Foreign Secretary James Cleverly, that's his actual name, James Cleverly, announced the UK would match up to five million pounds of the public donations. Right? They will match up to five million pounds. Cleverly said, when disasters like these terrible earthquakes strike, we know the British people want to help. They have shown time and again that few are more generous um, and compassionate. 2.3 billion pounds in arms to Ukraine and 5 million in disaster relief for 23 million people? Is this for real? Apparently, yes. Within a day... Within a day of the disaster, the French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo published a cartoon showing a damaged building, a toppled car, and a heap of rubble with the caption, No Need to Send Tanks. This was more than just a one-off cartoon in poor taste, and Charlie Hebdo is not just any satirical magazine. In 2015, Hebdo became the epicenter of what was described as the defense of democracy and free speech against attacks by fanatics and terrorists, much as Ukraine is presented today. Its officers in Paris were attacked by Saeed and Sheriff uh, uh, Kawachi, claiming to represent the militant group Al-Qaeda, killing 12 people and injuring 11 others. The attack prompted mass demonstrations, and the chant was, Je suis Charlie, je suis Charlie. Remember, all of them went and marched there in Paris, and that uh, went viral. Charlie Hebdo became a symbol of free speech under attack from barbarians with beards. To achieve these ends, Charlie Hebdo's unvarnished racism was brushed under the carpet then as it continues to be today. Few media organizations referred to its latest extremely obnoxious publication. Also, social media was not slow, although social media was not slow to react. Well, there you are. Time is running out. Things to ponder over in the last few minutes from the graveyard of the light at the end of the tunnel. This is what I have for you. Uh, Let me ask you the question. Are you a typical South African? Are you? Well, here's a checklist that can determine whether it's a typical South African. We call every toothpaste Colgate. We don't care. We call every washing powder 
surf. We are proud. We point at an empty chair and ask, uh, who's sitting there? Uh, we are just like that. We name our dogs Tiger, Danger, and Spotty. <laughs> we don't care. We eat the fruit and expect to be healthy immediately. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> when electricity goes out, when, it, when electricity goes off, we go out and check if the whole street is affected. Uh, we are just like that. We use a bar of soap till it looks like a SIM card. <laughs> we don't have a problem with that. We buy something, we skip reading the instructions and ask neighbors how it's used. We don't care. Whenever, when our neighbor buys a new car, we either say, yeah, it's not the latest, or we say they should have painted the house first. <laughs> We're jealous like that. We withdraw money from the ATM and then count it three times before leaving. Uh, we are cautious, you see. We lock the car and then try to open it two times before going. <laughs> we are like that. We pay 10,000 rand to a witch doctor so we can know who stole our 100 rands. We are sometimes weird like that. We turn off the volume just to smell what's burning. <laughs> we are like that. When we go out, we turn on the lights just to confuse the thieves. We are smart, right? Well, there you are. There's a checklist for you. We are proud to be South Africans then. Okay. Well, that's all I got for you this week. This is A.B. Dauji bidding you all. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.